0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit nutrislice.com.
2: I'm Linda Palacio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit
1: heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: It's Farm to School Month on Inside School Food and in thousands of school districts all over the nation. I am your host, Laura Stanley, once again bringing you a series of special episodes in celebration of the best four weeks in the school nutrition year. This is the month when school food professionals feature not just the season's bounty, but their aspirations for more locally driven Whole Foods programming year-round. In other words, it's a month when we see a lot of you wearing your passions on your sleeves. Uh, We have chosen just four Farm to School projects to feature this month, but we really want to hear about more. So please consider leaving us a brief voicemail for broadcast. It's really fun and it's easy. Um, For instructions, click on Contact on InsideSchoolFood.com. From there, click on a little drop-down that says, Talk to Us. So today we're off to a running start with a profile of a food hub serving 12,000 students in 18 districts in Northeast Iowa. It's called the Iowa Food Hub and it very neatly fits the USDA's working definition of a hub, which goes as follows. Uh, I'll read it off. Um, A centrally located facility with a business management structure facilitating the aggregation, storage, processing, distribution, and or marketing of locally and regionally produced food products. And as most of you know, on the agenda for most food hubs is increased access for consumers across the socioeconomic spectrum and there's no better way to accomplish that than through farm to school. So this hub is one of a number of in Iowa. It was launched in 2012 by three organizations, the Northeast Iowa Food and Farm Coalition, the Northeast Iowa Food and Fitness Initiative, and Alamaki New Beginnings, which is an anti-poverty Advocacy advocacy group that's handling purchasing and distribution for the hub. Uh, to tell the story, we have with us today two guests. Our first is Teresa Weimerslog, who coordinates the hub's work with the Farm and uh, Food and Farm Coalition um, from her post at Iowa State University Extension in Northeast Iowa. Uh, Teresa is a horticulturist, an agronomist, and a fourth generation small scale beef farmer. She's been a central player in the development of this hub, uh, starting back in the day when it was a CSA distributing shares out of a small-town grocery store. Um, After station break, we'll speak with Chef Chad Elliott, who is culinary specialist for the Tacora, Iowa School District. So, Teresa, good morning, and welcome to Inside School Food.
3: Good morning.
2: So, before we plunge in, is there anything else you want to say about what makes a food hub a food hub?
3: Um I think as as I was listening to your definition it's a little bit different than the one that I use from the USDA mm-hmm. but um I guess the part that I want to emphasize is that it's source identified product mm-hmm. and that's what helps make it different helps differentiate it from traditional distribution models it's that transparency through the food system
2: Okay. Um and so the Iowa Food Hub let's, let's kind of sketch it out like for, first of all you know how big is it how many farmers are you working with and how much food is moving through it
3: well so the Iowa food hub is um, I like to think of it as an innovative it's a nonprofit model food hub um, as you look across the country there's food hubs of all sorts of shapes and sizes and functions um, the Iowa food hub is based as as a nonprofit and it connects those farms and families close to home it's It's a pretty young food hub. Mm -hmm. Um, It started as a pilot project in 2012, and now it's standing on its own um, as a food distribution business with not just an economic mission, but also a social mission. Mm -hmm. Um, It works with about 40 different farm vendors and processors. But keep in mind that some of those vendors will have multiple farms that they're working with. so, and it's hard for it's hard for me anyway to keep track of how many farms specifically, just because everything tends to to flex and to mm-hmm. change. Great.
2: Right. And then, what what is the region that you cover and that you serve?
3: So, the Iowa Food Hub um, works specifically sourcing. Was it's a project of the Food and Fitness Initiative, which um, focuses on six counties in the very northeast corner of mm-hmm. Iowa. Um, But that's not necessarily where the markets all are. Um, The northeast corner is very rural. Um, The largest town is 9,000 people. Um, But we're really good at growing food. Mm -hmm. So to move um, food out to the metro areas and the urban centers is a key function of the food hub. Um, Right now, they're focusing on an area of 150 miles for both sourcing and distribution. Although there are two exceptions to that rule because um, Food Hub is currently working with two distributors that help source some product into the Chicago market as well as the Omaha market.
2: Yeah, but on the whole, Which, it's pretty pretty tightly local.
3: It's It's all on the scale. It's all on the eye of the beholder of what their, their local definition is.
2: Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. So you, you told me that your part of Iowa is a little different from what we think of as, the, you know, when we think of the rest of Iowa. Um, to tell us what the agricultural landscape is. who Who's growing and what are they growing?
3: Sure. Um, so our six county area, like I said before, is very rural. It's about the size of Connecticut, however, um, but only with about 100,000 people instead of millions of people. Um People have to travel 50 to 100 miles to get to an urban area of more than 50,000
4: people. Wow.
3: Um, Agriculture is still the backbone of the economy here, but it differs slightly from the rest of Iowa. Sure, there's lots of corn and soybeans production, but the area is also home to a strong base of small and medium-sized farms. Mm -hmm. Ag in the middle is a term that gets thrown around. We still have a pretty um, large representation of that type of farming. It also has a strong organic agriculture and livestock base. Lots of cattle, both yeah. dairy cattle as well as beef.
2: Yeah. And then what, what's your client breakdown? Who's who's uh, using the hub?
3: So um, we follow the the USDA definition of a food hub marketing to wholesale accounts.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: right now the food hub is primarily selling to schools, public schools and private, as well as colleges, a few hospitals, and, and grocery stores
2: Okay, And schools are a huge portion Of what you're doing right now
3: It is um, It's one of the main motivators For getting the food hub up and going mm-hmm. um, You know when we look at our Assets here in northeast Iowa We know we can grow food But the case became Well if we want to do something Different than the commodity Agriculture system How are we going to do that We don't have the population base so we knew we were going to have to start aggregating to move products to larger centers, and we were going to have to see if we could be um, get a more, more bang for our buck, essentially, by targeting some larger accounts. So food service fits into that. Um, how can we add value to the farmers' products by um, helping them gain access to more volume?
2: Right. And then in, in addition to that... Um Were there any child nutrition issues that prompted the Northeast Iowa Food Initiative to um, get involved in in the hub? Oh,
3: completely. And actually, you could almost say that um, the changes to the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act helped get our food hub started. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, You know, so if we look back at our story, um, you know, we have been doing this local food system work for over 10 years now, And, you know, it started with a group of farmers, and they went ahead and created a strategic plan and saw the opportunity for local food production as an an opportunity for our area. When we look at the markets, we identified schools as a potential market, but we also knew they are very price sensitive, and it was going to be um, something that has a a lower margin than the other more lucrative markets, like if you were selling to a white tablecloth restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, So... When the Food and Fitness Initiative came along with the goal of creating healthy environments for children and families, when we looked at our rural communities, it was all about the schools. Where is the place that has a lot of influence on the way families function, mm-hmm. how they live, and has a big influence on children, and it's the school districts. We often say that our districts are the hub of the communities. Um, so we thought by... In, um, intervening at that level, we were gonna to start to make a difference.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was actually a little surprising at first. We thought with the smaller school districts that it wouldn't be too hard to get local product into them, but we quickly ran into volume issues. Um, even working with some of our larger growers, getting enough cases of produce to go to a school district of 1,500 or 1,700 students
2: mm-hmm.
3: takes some thinking.
2: Well, and in your region, 1,500 or 1,700 is actually large. You told me you're also serving districts that only have a few hundred kids in them.
3: Yeah, our districts range in size from 400 students up to about 1,700. Um, Chad, who's also on the call, has one of our bigger districts.
2: Right. So you developed this really fa- fabulous tool for getting everybody on the same page and to make aggregate purchasing easier, um, and it's called the um, – the season seasonal cycle menu. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. So when the Healthy
3: Hunger-Free Kids Act came out, um, there was actually some panic, and I'm, I have a feeling that a lot of the listeners on the call may have felt the same. Mm-hmm. Um, in our rural schools, you know, the kitchens are small, the staff is small, um, you know, the food service director is also the main cook, and... Um, and now they're being asked to plan all these menus that meet all these regulations. And we actually had three food service directors that came up and said, I don't know how we're gonna do this. Can you please help us? Um, you know, up to that point, we had been you know, slowly enticing them with different things um, to get them to try more local food. I mean, we started small. We started with an idea that we borrowed from Maryland in the homegrown school lunch week and asked, schools to, if they would buy $300 worth of product, um, we would give them a $300 uh, piece of kitchen equipment, a mm-hmm. slicer or a dicer or a salad spinner. And that worked pretty well for the first couple of years to get people excited about the whole idea. But it seemed like we were just having trouble getting them to move to the next level.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So
3: along came this opportunity to create a menu that not only would help them meet the new regulations, but would also be very intentional about serving the products that we can grow here. Um, So we applied for some funding and received funding from both the Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture, and then that was quickly followed up with a USDA farm to school grant to investigate um, how how do we start moving these local products to the school.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've I've got the menu in front of me. How many of the districts? So you're working with 18 districts right now. How how many of them are using the seasonal cycle menu right now?
3: Well, so the menu was piloted with four school districts, mm-hmm. and they used it pretty closely for um, three years. Um, this is the first year that they've been. We've turned them off, you know, out on their own, and some of them are starting to adapt the menu to their own use. Some others are following it still pretty closely. Um, we still have the common goal of, you know, increasing local food purchases for those districts. So it's a great way to um, meet that goal.
2: Well, and it, what it means is that the, the more of them are using it, for instance, you know, on the day that the menu calls for cheese pizza and locally grown spinach, sweet corn, and strawberries, there's, there's a big aggregate demand for, this for local spinach, corn, and strawberries. So that must work really well for the growers.
3: Well, you know, we at first we thought that that would make a lot of sense, but it doesn't necessarily play out that way in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, the schools are able to, you know, they plan their menus by the week, so they're able to rotate their weeks around. So not every school is on the same week. But where we've really found benefit is the fact that, um, and this is something schools have done forever, is plan their menus a month ahead. So as soon as they have their menu planned for October Farm to School Month, mm-hmm. and they have the products identified that they want to start sourcing, that is where um, an aggregator like a food hub can really um, play an important role by essentially tracking down that product for that school and making sure that it gets delivered on the day they need it.
2: Right, right. So you're facilitating that relationship, and they don't—they just work with the hub. They don't have to go to the growers, which is huge, huge. Plus. Um, and I understand some of your districts are really have been able to ramp up their percentage of local by a great deal. I mean, which, you know, what's, what's your biggest percentage in terms of increase in local as a result of the food hub?
3: So we actually don't do percentage um, because it can be kind of a depressing number. Um, <laughs> when you're trying to move the needle, even the smallest increments. We celebrate. Um, Mm -hmm. So we actually don't use percentage. We use dollar amounts. Um, And this last year, we added actually another measure of dollars spent on local per student.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: So with a combination of the cycle menu and the food hub, we were able to move the collective purchases of the school in the region from about $15,000 per year up to $72,000 last year.
2: That's enormous.
3: It is enormous, um, and but at the same time, for some schools, it's not even two percent of their food purchases. So um, some
2: of them have been so, more successful than others. In other words, yeah,
3: sure. Um, but where it really becomes striking is when you do that dollar spent per student, because mm-hmm. that's kind of the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're comparing eight hundred dollars spent on local food in a district of four hundred students to eight hundred dollars spent in a district of seventeen hundred students. Um, you know, it's not the same. So
4: mm-hmm.
3: by doing the calculation of this is what you spent per student, we have a lot of stu- schools in that two to three to four dollar per student range, but we also have some districts that are in that um, eighteen to twenty five dollars per student, per year range, which I think is phenomenal.
2: Well, all the boats will rise together at some point. I think that's the idea. So that's that's pretty exciting, Teresa. Season extension it's a big deal uh, for a hub. Um, and I know that your, your cycle menu is not just for Farm to School Month. It, it's August through November, which is harvest season. Um, but then there's the rest of the year. Uh, what have you been able to do to... Um, Basically, extend the season and make some of this food available outside. You know, after November.
3: Yeah. So, you know, I think this is the big question for any school district that has snow in mm-hmm. the winter time: is how do we move the um, production, the peak production window, to when the school comes in session? Um, you know, our schools start the last part of August, and there's still some pretty good produce production there, but you know, it quickly starts to wane. This year, um, you know, watermelon has always been a really good product for Mm -hmm. us to move. It's been very price competitive with um, the conventional market, but it was also an early melon season. And to have melons all the way through October, I think is gonna be pretty tight. Yeah. Um, So, you know, looking at how do we extend that season is something that's gonna be really critical. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of options here in our region, as far as you know, kitchens or other contractors that we could work with to do that small-scale processing. Um, we have used some funds from our USDA Farm to School grant to investigate a little bit of this, to do some product development. Um, we've been able to freeze strawberries, which is something that the schools will buy all year for um, their fruit serving. Um, some of them mix it with their applesauce. Um, some of them make smoothies. Um, We've also investigated a frozen cubed squash um, or a a crushed tomato puree and sweet potato fries to Mm -hmm. find out are those things that, number one, are going to be affordable to schools and number two, are they going to be attractive um, in the meals that they serve. And And
2: who's who's doing that processing and freezing for you?
3: So right now um, we're working with two different vendors. One of them is called Sharing Spaces Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, It also is a nonprofit model. Um, They are a center for adults with disabilities, Mm -hmm. and they view as a value-added kitchen, and now they've actually added a greenhouse, as something that their clients can contribute to the
2: community with. -hmm. That's so interesting, Teresa, because we last year, and I'll put this on the show page for today, um, profiled a similar arrangement in um, the northern Michigan Peninsula where um, a very large school district was getting food processed um, via Goodwill Industries, which was also helping um, adults re-enter or enter the workforce. So um, That's another way of of really deepening community commitment via the the food hub. I understand you we're also you know able to move uh, local pork and beef and yogurt which is not necessarily just harvest season right
3: oh totally mm-hmm. um the proteins at the food hub is what actually keeps the doors of the food hub open um, and it helps extend that window so we're very fortunate in our area to have um, two local dairies um, one of them is pretty active in the farm to school because of the yogurt product that they sell that's attractive to schools um both as a single serve as well as a, um, a bulk dish out product um, we've also been toying a lot with how do we get m- meat into schools mm-hmm. um like i said before we we have a lot of livestock production up here and um, how do we start working out a system and create the logistics to make that happen Mm -hmm. We're fortunate that we have um, state-inspected lockers that we're able to utilize. We're using one locker for um, the beef project and another one for the pork project. Um, The pork project was profiled on the Leopold Center's website, Mm -hmm. where it's actually a whole animal project with a local college. So um, lots of 10 hogs go into the locker at one time. They get processed into um, pork roast, pork loins, the bacon comes off and the rest of it gets ground up and that all goes either to the college or to the school districts to use in their meals.
2: Yeah, that, that's a great way paper and I'll post that on the show page today as well. Um, Teresa, this is very exciting and I love the model. I realize it's new, but there's lots of room to grow, so I wish you the best of luck. It's been really great hearing about what's going on in your corner of Iowa. Um, You have been listening to uh, Teresa Weimerslag from the Iowa State University Extension in Northeast Iowa, joining us today to talk about how the Iowa Food Hub facilitates local purchasing for school districts throughout Northeast Iowa. This is Inside School Food. After station break, uh, Chef Chad Elliott, of the Decorah Community School District talks about really delicious school food made possible in part by purchasing from the Hub.
1: Salt over my own head. Sprinkle flour to keep saving all my doorstep. This program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com.
4: Hi, my name is Bethany Marquis. I am the food service director for the Sylvain Elementary School in Sylvain, California. It is a kindergarten through eighth grade program, and we do a farm to school program, but it is kind of a different innovative program. We actually have a nonprofit company called the San Ynez Veggie Rescue that gleans the local farms, and they actually bring those local organic foods to our school for free. And we incorporate them into the National School Lunch Program at a public school. There's about 600 children that attend the school, and we feed about 301 students a day. And all of the organic fruits and vegetables incorporated into the reimbursable meal at this school program
2: Welcome back and many thanks to Chef Bethany Marquis for sharing her unusual story about the gleaning of organic produce for school meals in Solvang, California. If you want to learn more about her program there's a link on today's show page and please consider sharing your own farm to school story click on talk to us under contact on insideschoolfood.com to find out how yeah. <laughs> So we are back with another talented school chef, Chad Elliott, who is culinary specialist for the schools in Decorah, Iowa. Uh, He purchases prolifically and enthusiastically from the Iowa Food Hub, so he's here today to tell us how that's impacted his program. Chad is a graduate of the Iowa Culinary Institute. He began his career in restaurants, eventually serving for seven years as executive chef at Decorah's high-end Hotel Wineshek. At home, uh, Chad maintains. An apple orchard and a half acre of asparagus. And on weekends, you can find Chad in the Decorah Farmers Market selling bread baked in a wood fired brick oven that he built himself. Uh, the Decorah district is small but large by Northeast Iowa standards, serving um, about 1,400 students. Six sites are served by two central kitchens, so as you'll hear, they're able to prepare a lot of food in house. So, Chad, good morning. Morning. So tell us a little bit about your community um, or, you know, what, what are the students in your school like?
5: Um, well, it's a population of about 8,000. Um, we It's an active community. We have a 12-mile-long bike trail, uh, trout fishing, kayaking, the upper Iowa, um, lots of activities to do. So
2: and then and then at school, what is you know what's your demographic like? Like, what's your free and reduced rate?
5: Free and reduced, we're about oh twenty seven percent. Okay,
2: so pretty so, low.
4: Pretty
5: low.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how long have you been on the job in the Decorah schools?
5: I've been here for four years. Okay. Um, I started out as a just a vegetable prep cook, and mm-hmm. then um, they ended up creating a position for me, um, calling it a culinary specialist, where I Kind of float around to the six schools and help out. I do a lot of the menu planning and recipe development for the
1: school.
2: And I, I understand you've been making some changes since you began there. Can you can you talk about how you've this? The district has shifted toward more scratch cooking since you turned up.
5: Yeah, um, when I started four years ago, the the kitchen was pretty much utilizing. Um, a good amount of fresh produce um, from the school gardens, mm-hmm. and they had uh, an orchard, um, which actually hasn't produced anything yet. But um, so they were, you know, they were using a lot of um, local ingredients. Um, but I think, um, you know, I I think they've they now they've expanded it a lot. So they've got a 20 by 30 foot greenhouse, a couple gardens, um, they've got high tunnels. Several hoop houses, so now we're, we're really starting to crank it in. And then with the food hub starting, um, we've we've got a lot of uh, um, new things incorporated the menu. But some of the changes that we've kind of come together and done since I've been here is we're we're making like a homemade pizza um, with all the tomatoes and peppers we've been getting from the gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't serve canned salsa anymore. We're making pico de gallo for all of our um, dishes that require salsa um, we're using uh, local pork every time we uh, make pulled pork sandwiches Mm -hmm. we've got local pork incorporated into our lasagna and spaghetti um, homemade coleslaw Um, we've got some additional equipment now where we can um, we bake all of our own breads Well, before um, it used to be kind of well today the high school would get fresh baked bread and then the other schools would get Fresh baked bread that mm-hmm. was frozen.
4: <laughs> right. right.
5: Um, so now we have this equipment where we can we can do it for the whole district every day. So
2: yeah, and and the, the on the image for today's show page we have a um, I think it's almost entirely or maybe even it's a hundred percent locally grown meal. And there's a picture of that pulled pork sandwich on a house baked whole grain bun. And I know that the pulled pork sandwich is like a beloved Iowa. You know, dish. It's part of the heritage there. Yeah. And how were you able to? I mean, you're buying the pork through the hub, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you, ha- but you had to style the sandwich to make it um, compatible with USDA um, nutrition guidelines. How did how did that go over with the kids when it started showing up lower sodium on a whole grain bun? Are they still eating it?
5: Yeah, the bread is not so much an issue as the pasta. It seems the mm-hmm. um, we're using a a white wheat flour,
4: mm-hmm. and,
5: um, you know, I, to be honest, I don't even know if some of them even can tell the difference. It's,
2: yeah, we hear a lot of that about the whole white wheat.
5: <clears throat> yeah, so yes. so that's going over pretty well. But the, the pork, um, we're, we're making the barbecue sauce as well, so it's like uh, applesauce, brown sugar, mm-hmm. liquid smoke, um, so we're not using just,
4: <clears throat>
5: you know, the traditional barbecue sauce filled with sodium. And
2: right, and the kids sodium. aren't missing the sodium, huh? No, no. Excellent, excellent. So let's talk about the Hub. Um, how has it changed your purchasing practices? I know that you're, you're, you're purchasing a lot more local since the Hub came into your life, right?
5: Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'd say we purchase pretty close to 90% of our local food through the Hub.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: it's just, you know, it's one-stop shopping, and <clears throat> they source such a big variety of products um, and the prices are great, and the service is great, so um it's really a no brainer for us. it just um, makes it easy. Um, I can call Nick and um, we have a five week cycle menu, so I can you know give him a, a month out or at least um, an idea of what we'll want what they will want it, and how much mm-hmm. and uh and he'll get back to me and if they've you know the nice thing about the hub as opposed to just working with a single farmer is if one farmer has a crop failure or can't come up with the right amount, they can um, contact several farmers and, uh, and, you know, kind of have a backup plan.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And as Teresa described, there are just so many – farmers involved. So it, it, it's win-win for, for everybody. Um, yep. I know you're very proud of, of some of the dishes you've created with local food and, and that includes items purchased through the hub as well as through your extremely well-developed um, student uh, gardening program which of course is a benefit of being in an agricultural region. So tell us you know like what's on the menu this month that you're particularly excited about?
5: Well, I can give you some of our favorites.
2: Okay. Um,
5: we have uh, local burgers um, that are on the menu twice a year. This year we did it for homecoming weekend last week. Mm-hmm. And then we also do um, kind of a send-off to the seniors uh, toward, like, the last week of school where the uh, Winnishie County Cattlemen will come in, and uh, they grill all of the burgers for us right out in front of the school and then um, distribute those, and that's one of our more popular days. sure. Um, And we do a sub day where we make these like four foot long subs. It's pretty impressive looking for the kids. And then we, you know, basically just put meat and cheese on them and then the kids come through and then we've got um, like a condiments bar with, you know, basically anything you could imagine on it for um, toppings. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a homemade pizza is pretty popular. We've make our own sauce and our own pizza crust. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, what about veggies? I know because I've seen pictures of some of your menus and you've got like these amazing different kinds of salads and like, what what do the kids really go for?
5: Yeah, we um, actually this year at the high school, we started um, some salads. We've got a Johnny apple seed salad, which is um, sliced apples, spiced almonds, um, dried fruit. And then it's got like a raspberry vinaigrette. And these are all grab-and-go salads.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We've
5: got a Caesar um, a Fiesta salad, which is like chicken, black beans, peppers. Um, and then we've got a, uh, just a traditional chef salad with um, carrots, um, celery, cucumbers, and uh, ham
2: cool. And the kids can look at that and, and identify which elements they actually grew on the school campus, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah. then to get off the topic of the hub for just a second, you're doing this other thing this month special for farm to school with funding from the Chef and Foundation called the Empty School Project. Can you tell us what that's about?
5: Oh, it's actually, it's the Empty Spoons Project. Oh, did I, what, but, I, what did um, I say? I didn't
2: say Empty Spoon. Empty
5: I meant to school. say Empty Spoons.
2: Sorry. <laughs> we don't want to say Empty school. <laughs>
5: um, But Yeah, I, I got a, a grant last year from the Chef Ann Foundation, um, and it's a $2,500 uh, grant called the Mission Nutrition Grant, and mm-hmm. it's to promote fresh fruits and vegetables in your school. Um, and so what I decided to do with the money is um, do i want to showcase a bunch of um, dishes from around the world um, so I called it empty spoons. What does your globe eat and mm-hmm. so each of the twenty two school days in october um, i 'm going to focus on a regional recipe prepared with um, local produce so um, most of the ingredients for this will purchased through the food hub and then students students are going to learn about uh familiar and not so familiar fruits and vegetables, and they 'll get to taste them too so um, I go around to um, each table, and I have samples preset, and I have pictures of maps and flags and, um, like, a little bit of uh, history about where the food comes from and what mm-hmm. types of um, people are eating the food.
2: So what, what you know, in your repertoire for, for this project would you say is going to be the most challenging for Iowa kids?
5: Lots of the dishes <laughs> would be challenging. Uh, Friday, I did a Ukrainian borscht,
2: How'd that and go? that
5: um, that was a challenge.
2: <laughs> was it cold it, or hot?
5: It was it was a hot borscht.
2: Okay, um, okay. Yep.
5: Yeah, I figured I'd be a little safer by making it hot, and right. I actually had some um, sausage in it as well. But yeah, um, and then we did uh, a pueblo street corn
1: mm-hmm.
5: on Thursday, and that was like a oh, it's got a creme fraiche and. Um, mayonnaise, and lime sauce on the outside of a cob of corn, mm-hmm. and then it's got chili powder um, sprinkled on it.
2: And what did they think of that?
5: Actually, that didn't go over very well. Yeah, I, I would, was, I would I was think thinking that, that would yeah. be the safe one. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I think it's really meaningful, um, especially given your region, where where you know I think tastes among students can run more conservative. So, I wish you luck with that. I'm like excited that uh, you know you're doing this, and and the walking around with the with the map that's something you do. I mean, you're personally like delivering the message, right?
5: Yeah, and I'm I'm doing it all. Actually, I'm prepping it all, serving it all, and. Um marketing at all. So. Good
2: for you. Good. Well, you. Chad, this has been a tasty conversation. Um, thanks for coming on today, making us all hungry. I want to come out to Iowa sometime and have lunch with you.
4: Yeah, You're
2: um, you have been listening to Inside School Food's first episode for Farm to School Month 2015. Uh, resource links can be found on today's show page on insideschoolfood.com. Our next Farm to School episode will be two weeks from now, when we will look at the introduction of reservation-grown bison to lunch trays in Native American schools. And remember, if you're enjoying Inside School Food, please show your support by following us on Facebook or Twitter or or by signing up for our newsletter via InsideSchoolFood.com. It really, really helps us to know who is listening. I'm Laura Stanley, and today's break music was provided by the lovely Odetta Hartman. The theme song to my show is Tech Star, and many thanks to our sponsor, Nutra Slice. Um, and if you remember, uh, I, also another way to help us, of course, is to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to donate if you like at heritageradionetwork.org. There's a little little beating heart on the top right-hand corner there, and you can that's for donating. So um, that's always appreciated. Next up, a short clip of Eating Matters, a, another heritage radio program that takes on a spectrum of big topics in food systems. And for the
3: farmers that you heard from, how did they describe what the drought means for them and what are some of the options that they have for contending with this?
1: Founder of the Los Angeles Food Policy Council, Paula Daniels, joins Episode 20 of Eating Matters to talk about California's water infrastructure and why the drought is about more than the lack of rain.
3: There's a lot of systemic issues when you're dealing with water shortages and the intensive demands on water. So... California has always been in that situation where we've had a lot of demand on its water in regions where water isn't. So most of the water in California is in the north. Most of the demand is in the Central Valley and in the south in Los Angeles where I'm living. L.A. is not an area that has high water in terms of supply from rains. So we've been moving water around the state for, for nearly a century now. And so a lot of the more Fundamental questions come down to whether or not we can store water, and that usually means dams. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this current conversation, we're also looking at other ways to store water, which is returning it back to the groundwater and having more groundwater storage.
1: To hear the rest of Paula's interview and to learn more about food policy issues and solutions across the globe, tune into Eating Matters, available anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and iTunes.